This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Sometimes you wonder if there are people out there who complain just simply because they can't think of any reason to complain. In other words, they quetch about the fact that there's nothing to quetch about. Ever had that experience? Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Shishla till 3 o'clock. And as always... You're part of the conversations. I'd love to hear your thoughts. My question for today is, why do we complain so much? It seems to be endemic. It seems to be something that happens across the board. People are always on about something. This is no good. That, uh, I'll tell you just an interesting example, okay? So you've probably seen the WhatsApp that was doing the rounds. An article, I don't remember where the article was from, but it's basically about the fact that there's a tie-in of some major pipeline uh, that Joburg Water, or Rand Water, I should say, Rand Water has to do next week, Monday. And so there is a possibility over the 54 hours that they need to do this particular replacement, there is a possibility that there might be areas without water. And straight away, everybody's fueling this thing and going on and on about the fact that we will not have water for 54 hours. That's it. Everybody's talking about it. Fair complete. It's going to happen. That's how it is. It, it kind of reminds me of that old joke about the Jewish telegram that says, start worrying details to follow. You know, the fact that people somehow are able to dig up the dirt, the darkness, the negativity in any situation. So here we are. We don't even know what the nature of the situation is. It sounds almost like it's a precautionary message. There is the possibility of areas losing water over the course of this, this major upgrade. And by the way, if you read the article, it says that would be only in case things don't go exactly as planned. And even then, it's only some areas in the continent necessarily which areas. And it will have to do with people using too much water, a lot of factors. It's not like this outright, you will not have water for 54 hours, but that's how we, that's how we are. We immediately look for the opportunity to see the negative, to find the negative. Why? Why is it? Why do we seem to be wired to always find the negative, to find something to complain about? I'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences on that. You can SMS 34519, WhatsApp 0618951019. You can also tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Why? Why is it that we seem to default into negativity? Why? What's wrong with us? Why? Is there something wrong with us? Maybe it's just, uh, it's just practical. What do you think? This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, yes, uh, should I start off with a pessimistic angle and say, nobody's even going to comment about it because that kind of seems exactly the way that people are, right? We always look at what's going to go wrong. You know, I, I once heard somebody say, don't ever say that things can't get worse because they certainly can. So why, why, why is it that we are so predisposed to fetch to see the negative? What is it about us and what can we do to change it? Maybe just to use an example. Uh, uh, there we go. Somebody, Richard says, must you complain about it? <laughs> Why do we like to question? I says, what must you complain about it? Well, uh, who says I'm complaining? I'm just investigating. And I'd love to hear different people's perspectives on this. Maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think that people typically are actually quite optimistic and positive. And if that is what you think, well, then go ahead and, and tell me. I mean, uh, definitely open to hear people's views on it. I'll tell you actually what's – it's a conversation that I've been having with a number of people over – well, well, more than a month now, uh, about this question of optimism versus pessimism. 
and why it is that people tend to see the world in a negative light. And people will always tell you, our world is getting worse. It's the worst it's ever been. And maybe in some ways it is. But then again, we can debate whether that is the case or not. And because it's a conversation I've been having for some time, so definitely caught my eye reading up on this week's parasha, the Torah portion for this coming weekend. And you read over there such a fascinating story. Fascinating. There's a group of people who had joined along with the Jewish nation after they left Egypt. So there's a privilege already, right? They, they're not part of the Jewish nation. The Torah calls them Ha'asafsuf, which is the, the tagalongs, basically. They're mixed multitude, people who don't necessarily deserve to be part of the great miraculous experience of leaving Egypt and whatever follows after that. And yet at the same time, they get swept along for the ride and they have these incredible opportunities because of it. And they, and they're living miracle to miracle. They live protected by clouds that help to regulate the temperature in the desert and protected them from the, the hazards of the desert, the snakes and the scorpions and whatever obstacles might lie in their path as they walked. So they, they're living in this wonderful incubator of, <clears throat> of, life and then they see miracles and they get messages directly from god and they eat the manna which falls from heaven which is the spectacular food that's got all kinds of unusual properties besides its nutritional value it's got spiritual properties as well that opens your eyes helps you to understand things puts you in touch with godliness and they've got this all on tap they've got this well that accompanies them in the desert that provides the most incredible water they didn't have to worry about shopping because their clothing was laundered on a daily basis and grew along with them if they needed a different size. They had enough cattle, should they have chosen, they had enough cattle to be able to provide, I guarantee you, enough bries for the period of time that they were going to be in the desert. And they complained. They complained. Can you imagine this for one second? You're living in the absolute cradle of of whatever life has to offer. It's the best that life can be. And then you complain. And they, what was their complaint? They said, we want meat. It's all very well that we get this manna that falls. It's beautiful, but but we want meat. So what? What, well, what are you on about? What do you mean you want meat? So go, slaughter your cattle. You've got enough. You've got livestock. No, they, they, they want meat. And it becomes a whole thing. And eventually they land up uh, with the story with, with quail. But the, the point is, what is it? What is it about us? That we somehow, even when things are really good, we tend to see things specifically as bad, as negative. Why is that? Um, and I suppose part of the conversation, I suppose, is whether objectively our world is improving or degrading. Like what's the nature of the world that we live in? Is it becoming a better place or is it becoming uh, a more difficult place? And that's very much part of this Mentality, the psychology, this quetch mentality. I remember once hearing a story about a guy who wants to show off his dog. I've used it a number of times in, uh, in talks. So this guy wants to show off his dog. He says, you, you don't understand. My dog is unbelievable. You're, watch, watch. I'll show you what my dog can do. And he's, he's telling his friend, this new dog. And he throws out, uh, whatever it is, a ball. And he says to the dog, go fetch, get the ball. And the dog turns around to him and says, are you kidding me? You have these expectations. You just stand by. You, you, you're lazy. You never take me out to walk. I have to pound on the door before you even pay any attention to me. You abandon me for most of the day. You feed me this horrible stuff that comes out of a, t- a can. Like You never make me real food. And 
you, you just you, you you've given me these cramped livings, this cramped living space, and now you want me to perform for you? The chutzpah that you have. So the friend turns to the owner of the dog and says, wow, that is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I mean, look at this. Your, your dog is unbelievable. Your dog is so eloquent. I've never seen a speaking dog. It's unbelievable. And he says, yeah, well, actually, the problem with my dog is that it's getting old and hard of hearing. When I said fetch, he thought I said kvetch. So what is it? What is it about us that we kind of default to this position of kvetch? And everybody will tell you the world is... We're felling all the rainforests and we're going to destroy the planet and we're overfishing the seas and whatever we haven't overfished, we've polluted. And there's going to be climate change and there's not going to be enough money to go around. There's not going to be enough resources for people to live. We're overpopulating the planet and the way that people behave, it's just degrading. People no longer think for themselves. They just rely completely on computers. And the level of morality in our world is going down the tube and there's no sense of respect for values or for older people and on and on and on it is. And people will tell you just how terrible, how terrible our world is and how it's just getting worse. So I suppose the question is why? Why? Why do we complain? Why do we always seem to think that there's something wrong? There's something that's really, really wrong and the world's got to be, it's got to be fixed. Got to be fixed. you know, even if you wanted to say that the world has to be fixed, surely then your attitude should be, let's go fix the world. No, we don't do that. We sit on our couches and we complain and we sit at our Friday night table and say, did you hear? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Look how terrible things are. And it's bad and it's getting worse and it's never been this bad. I guess what? It seems that if you look at the course of our history, that's always the way it is. Look at the Jews in the desert. What? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out to die in the desert? Quote, direct quote from a nation who were living on miracles, who had seen the ten plagues, who had escaped the inescapable superpower of the time, who heard direct communication from God. And how do they look at the world? Look how bad things are. What a terrible situation we're in. They're the same people who say, what's going to happen to our children? You'll read about this in next week's Torah portion. What's going to happen to our children? We're going to go into this land that's going to swallow us up alive. Nobody gets out of this thing. Nobody survives. Why? <laughs> Why? Why is it that we, that we are that way? And, and from a Jewish perspective, is, it an, is that an acceptable way to behave? Is it an acceptable mindset to, to adopt where you say world is bad and things are terrible and it's, it's just kind of falling apart? So I suppose there are a number of different ways that we could, that we could angle this. I'm throwing out those questions. Why do you think it is that people kvetch so much? That's question number one. Number two, all those people who do kvetch and say that there is so much wrong with our world. Well, are they correct? Is there so much wrong with our world? Would you say that the world we live in is improving or devolving? Would you say that our world is becoming a better place to live? If you had to compare it, let's say, to what life was like, I don't know, call it 100 years ago, certainly 200 years ago, or would you say that the world is uh, its not great? It's falling apart at the seams and all kinds of nonsense and toxic behavior is is really what's bubbling to the surface. Well, what would you say about a 34519 if you'd like to send us an SMS? You can also WhatsApp 0618951019. Send a tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Absolutely love this. I mean, you've got to love this. Only in the Jewish world could such a thing happen. Here's a tweet from at, whoops, where's it got? At Writer Paper. He says, I've been trying to read the book Born to Kvetch. 
<laughs> Born to be, I've never heard of it, by Michael Wicks, with all the translations from Yiddish and Hebrew to English. What an eye-opener. I never could believe there are so many Yiddish kvetches. Oh, yes, you better believe it. You better believe that there are. <laughs> That's quite something. The book of, the book of kvetch. That's quite something. Okay, we might have to put it onto uh, the the reading list. Here's a WhatsApp from Rene who says that the um, it's all the internet's fault. I like that. It's all the internet's fault. Prophets of doom. The reason why people kvetch so much because they lack emuna. Because they lack emuna. Because they lack faith in God. Okay, very powerful to say that people kvetch because they lack faith in God. And is it all the Internet's fault? I wonder, because if you go back through the course of history, it seems that kvetching, complaining, seeing the negative in situations isn't something which is brand new. It's not a 21st century invention. It's not a millennial experience. It would seem to be a universal experience. But then again, maybe some people will say that there's more kvetch today than there was in the past. I personally don't think so. I just think we're conscious of what we're conscious of. We don't necessarily know how things were, or perhaps we conveniently forget how things were earlier in history. Uh, yeah, Joshua says it depends on who you're asking. Depends on who you're asking. Okay, I'm asking you. What would you say? Is our world improving or is it getting worse? Is our world, uh, why is it that you think that people quetch so much? Why is there so much complaining? Anybody who's in the Jewish communal life, a communal leader, people in our schools, in our shuls, oh boy, they'll tell you just about how much complaining there is. Here's uh, Flora on Twitter who says the world is getting worse, less people with mitzvot and without good actions. So is that the case? You know what's interesting about this is let's, let's ask the question from a slightly different angle. When we make a decision, because every one of us, every single one of you listening right now, you have a view and you either feel that the world is on the app or you feel that the world is crumbling. One of the two. I mean, very few people are, are that impassive that you don't really care. So you either think the world is becoming a better place or you think the world is becoming a worse place. So here's an interesting question. How do you make that call? How do, whatever your opinion is, whatever it is. I'd love to hear what the basis is for that opinion. In other words, do we go out and do full-scale research before we make a, before we assume a position on the future of the world, or do we just go with how it feels? You know, based on, like uh, Rene said before, based on the internet, based on the information that kind of flows my way, and and is that really a good enough reason to, or a good enough basis on which to make a decision? I don't think that's a good basis. Unfortunately, it's very often uh, possibly the reason that we decide things, just simply because of the information that we're exposed to. That doesn't necessarily mean that the information is accurate or reflective of what's really happening in the world. So I think that's part of the question that we have to ask ourselves. Do we have accurate information? They're those Jews back in the desert. They're getting miracle by the day, by the heap loads. They're experiencing miracles. And they turn around and say, God doesn't love us. Ready? Do you have 
Do you have information to support this? Do you have objective information? I mean, let's examine this now with the the benefit of hindsight. Let's look back. You're living in a biosphere in the middle of the desert being provided with free food on a daily basis as well as the fact that you don't have a care in the world other than whether or not you, you got the latest update from God via uh, Moshe, his prophet. That's what your whole life is about. You say God doesn't care about you. You say, why did he take us out into the desert to die? So there you go. If you look at it from a perspective, an objective perspective you say they obviously didn't look at the facts people made a statement they made a comment they assumed a position about the nature of our world without having objective data to back that position so why is it that why is it that people tend to pursue or to assume the worst without necessarily having data to support it why what why is it why do we I don't know. It's very interesting. It's very intriguing. I think when you when you actually start to talk about it, uh, here's somebody who says not everybody quetches too much. It's just those who are bored or who think they are the best. Okay, that's the people who complain. The people who are bored. Uh, Rene again on WhatsApp says the world is good and evil, and the world is racing towards Mashiach. Well, I think that we all know that the world is good and evil. That's for sure question is, what are the ratios of good and evil? Would you say that we're at a period in history today where there is greater evil than good, where there's more good than evil? Would you say, how does it compare to previous periods in history? Would you say there were other periods in history where there was more good than evil than there is now? I don't know. How exactly would you rate it? I think it's quite interesting. But it's not just simply about, like I say, we don't necessarily check first to make sure that we have... um very clear objective data. We just go, we, we say things, we feel things in a particular way, uh, and we don't necessarily have a basis for it. That's really my question. So why? Why do we do that? Here's Hatman on Twitter who says, the world is passing away, but the one doing the will of God abides forever. Okay, so that implies, I suppose, that the world is... Getting worse, passing away. Is that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure. That sounds like it might be a little bit of lost in translation in that particular tweet. So, what is it? What's this predisposition? I had a very interesting conversation. Like I said, it was approximately about a month ago with uh, a leading personality here in, in in the Jobo community, and he said something fascinating. He said that if you go with evolutionary theory, which is basically that in order to survive, you obviously have to outlive, you have to outlast. You have to be what they call survival of the fittest. So in order to survive, you have to live with some element of fear. You have to be afraid. What happens if a predator comes along and attacks you? What happens if your resources run out? And that fear is actually important in order to keep a person alive. And he argued that it's an evolutionary thing, that that's the way that we're designed is to have a pessimistic view of the world because that helps with self-preservation. The problem with that view is that we no longer live in the wild. We no longer live with a subsistence mentality, or at least we shouldn't, because we actually live in a world that is far more secure than it used to be. Uh, li- live in a world that has a lot more opportunity than it used to offer. We live in a world that has greater resources than what was available in the past. And so this now works against us. The psychology that might have once kept us alive in a very hostile environment now starts to work against us in a happy environment, in a healthy environment, where we should actually be quite optimistic. We should say, but look at the world, the world. There are things that are happening that are that are improving. There are things that are making the world 
from literally from week to week a better place. And it's actually not he- healthy for us because all, all it does is produces stress when we start to worry about where the world is headed. That's an interesting point. Here's Josh on, on Twitter who says, I think the world is improving for the few who can afford it. And I wonder if that is actually true. Again, I suppose we'll have to go back and see what the objective facts are, right? Very interesting. Very interesting for people to say it gets better for those who can afford it. Is that true? Uh, here's Hoda and says uh, that they had somebody from City Water who said there's a main pipe closed to fix butterfly valve and that affects the whole province and should be careful with water. He suggested stocking up in case 54 hours of the main pipe closed. Hopefully he said not longer. Okay, so that's from Hoda and I guess that that is the update. And it's interesting. I mean, that's obviously directly from somebody on uh, Joe Water, and they probably know what they're talking about. Having said that, I often feel in this town where we talk a lot about power cuts and we talk a lot about water cuts, I often feel that when they say it's going to happen is usually when it doesn't happen. And the real devastation happens when these things are unexpected. But never fear. We will always find the negative in a situation. Why? Why is it? They would look for the negative in the situation. Evolutionary theory, some people will tell you, is because that's what kept us alive in very difficult and hostile circumstances. Okay, and how is it relevant today? Meanwhile, what is for Shabbos? Shabbos meals made easy, free recipe, and all the ingredients ready to buy. That's a demonstration and tasting at Pick and Pay Norwood Mall. Come and join Adrian Bugatti at Pick and Pay Norwood Mall today. That's today. It's actually started from 2 p.m. till 6 p.m. Adrian will demonstrate an easy Shabbat meal with rice, meatballs, and a salad and have some tamar grape juice to go with it. You'll receive a free recipe and have a chance to taste while you observe Adrian Bugatti on how to make her recipe. And wait, there are also the following specials valid from the 20th to the 23rd of June. They've got kosher beef burgers for just 89 rand a kilo, kosher lean beef mince only 89 rand a kilo. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Hyper Nord and only while stocks last Pick and Pay Hyper Nord is the best place to shop When you want to buy a lot If you've just joined us Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Shishler We're talking today about Why is it that people tend to be so negative It looks like it's wherever you turn People are always telling you Things are getting worse They're going to be worse ESCOM is going to collapse This is what's going to happen You know, Maybe there's some facts to what people say And a lot of the time, maybe not. So why is our world really getting worse? Yes, Philip, Philip P. W. I don't know how you say this, but Philip on Twitter says our world is getting worse. People are falling for a universal lie that everybody needs to conform to non-conformist liberal globalist views. So that's uh, Philip saying the world is getting worse. And I think that there are many, many people who would agree with that. And even if they don't say it in those words, they certainly imply it. And then you'll get other people who say, whoa, hang on a second. Is that really true? Is the world getting worse? You know, I'll tell you an interesting thing as far as Judaism is concerned and perhaps why the Torah has so many stories of people falling into negative mindsets is So the Torah tells us that there's basically two sides to who we are. There's a part of us that is animal-like, and there's a part of us that is God-like. The two different souls. So we speak about a nefesh habehamis, that's what it's called, an animal soul. And we speak about a nefesh eloikis, a divine soul. And those are the two parts of, of who we are. Now, if you go with the argument that says that evolutionary 
theory teaches that in order to survive, you have to constantly play negative scenarios. So you watch an impala in, in the wild and it's, it's very jittery. It's very jittery. It's like always looking, 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 smelling, sniffing the air, checking out just in case there happens to be a predator somewhere around. Well, that's important because if you're not, if you don't have that awareness, that situational awareness, you're, uh, you're lunch. That's just how it is. So that's our animal side. We, just like that animal in the wild, there's this nefesh abhamis, there's this animal soul within us that is designed to think and to feel exactly that way. The world is a fundamentally dangerous place. There is a law of atrophy, which means everything is always on the decline. There are natural circumstances, including natural disasters that could derail life. So the animal inside us says at every moment you've got to live with fear because you don't know what lurks around the next corner. It might be an armed robber. It might be a serious car accident, God forbid. It might be disease. It might be scarcity. Uh, we had perhaps good rainfall this past summer. Maybe this coming summer we'll go back into drought. That kind of thinking that says stock up today because tomorrow might be a difficult day is that's our animal voice and it's our natural instinctive self. It's the way we're created. Nothing fundamentally evil about it. It's just the way that we're created. However, we're not created. The big difference between being human and being an animal is that we were also created with a whole developed, mature brain that allows us the opportunity and gives us the responsibility to say, I'm not just going to live my instinctive reality. I can broaden my mind. I can expand. I can transcend. I have the opportunity to see the world in a different light. And that's actually what we're supposed to do. That, if you think about it, is a fundamental principle of what Judaism is all about, is to, to meditate on things that are greater and higher than what meets the eye, to get past the impulsive self and to get to the higher self. As long as we live with the impulsive self, we will live with stress. There's no question about it because there are many threats in our world and our impulse keeps saying, well, what about that stress? Now, it might never manifest, but that's not going to stop me from feeling stress over the anxiety around it. So we don't get to be anxious because of things that happen. We get to be anxious because of things that we fear may happen. So it becomes a, quite an unhealthy place to live with that terrible anxiety, that, that horrible stress of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. But that's instinctive for us. That's the animal inside us. And it's not necessarily the way that we are designed to become. It's the way we are wired in our most primal state. But it's not the way that we're supposed to Develop. So like Rene said earlier, if a person has a weakness of emuna, if a person lacks some element of faith, then they are more likely to live with that impulsive animalistic kind of an attitude which says there is a threat around every corner. One of the great expectations of Judaism is to get to a place of trust. Trust in God. In fact, in Yiddish, we have a wonderful expression which says, Tracht gut wet sein gut, that if you think good, then things will be good. It's kind of that you create a reality around yourself that starts very much with the psychology that you live. So if that psychology is an optimistic psychology, then you create positive things around you and you actually live in a, in a positive space. Whereas if you, if you live in a negative space, then that's, that's just where your life is going to go. So that's one of the most important things that we're supposed to do is to trust, to trust that God actually runs the world. He did not dump us on earth so that we should totally destroy the planet and then land up with some apocalyptic experience. 
but he put us here that, you know, that we should actually make the world a better place. Here's Saul on Twitter, who's absolutely convinced that the world is becoming a better place. He says, for example, let's start physically. He says, we live longer, eat better, have a better quality of life, and better everything than even 50 years ago. Unprecedented access to knowledge, medicine, food, water, housing than ever before in history. And I think that's interesting because once you do start, and, and I see that Saul in a subsequent tweet has actually referenced a website called ourworldindata.org. Now that's brilliant. I love that because now it's, this is no longer just conjecture. It's no longer just what a person happens to feel. This is, this is stats. This is research. This is the kind of thing you can look around. You can actually see that our world is improving. He doesn't stop there, by the way. He says, uh, while all of this has happened, we've become more tolerant, less warlike, and less murderous. It's very interesting. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a website that tracks, I think it's five questions that were posed to societies around the world. And just to see which societies are the most accurate at understanding the nature of their society. So the one, one of the questions that was asked to South Africa was about murder rates. Murder rates in our country. Now, if you had to ask the average person, they would tell you, well, obviously murder rates are up. But statistically, it's actually incorrect. Statistically, murder in South Africa apparently today is at a level that was only seen in the 80s. Interesting. Right? Is interesting. So we, we have to know what we're dealing with. Trust in God is part of our spiritual growth. But at the same time, we also have a responsibility to look at the world around us and see things in, in, in plain, objective terms, not just from the perspective of how it feels. Very often, our gauge based on feeling is completely off the mark. So it's quite important for us to, you know, to have a look and, and, and to, to actually see um, what things are in numbers, what things are in data, what things are in, in real terms. So, from a Jewish perspective, we're told that we're supposed to serve God with joy. Now, joy is the opposite of anxiety, and that implies that the position we're supposed to try and arrive at is a position that looks forward, that a position that feels that the world is an upbeat place, a position that sees opportunity and potential, and that's why God put us over here, because there, there are great opportunities for us, and there is a great... Uh, potential for growth, and that's how we're supposed to see the world. Uh, Saul continues over here on Twitter, and he says that spiritually we've never been better. Due to the spread of major world religions, basic morals have been disseminated to almost everywhere on earth. He says in brackets, mostly based on Jewish ideas. The rule of law, government accountability, constitutions are the norm. See, these are things that we take for granted and we don't appreciate that that literally just half a century ago that was not the case. And that's not a very long time. So there's great room for optimism. And that is really how we're supposed to be looking at the world. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too. Maybe you've got some stats you could share with us as well as or, or a theory on why people tend to be so negative. 34519 if you'd like to SMS. Otherwise, WhatsApp 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. All right, so there we go, talking about the positives and the negatives in this world. A couple of WhatsApps coming through. Here is a WhatsApp, uh, Yossi. Yossi says, we are living in a pre-Messianic era of social media where information is more accessible. So much of that news is negative and a high percentage of fake and false narratives. Therefore, our negative receptors and perceptions are heightened 
We need to focus on mitzvahs, family and friends, instead of our constant fetching over external factors that are not in our control. Love that. I think it's a great WhatsApp. Thank you, Yossi. I think it's a great WhatsApp. And I definitely agree that in this information overload that we live with, unfortunately, a lot of it is spin. A lot of it is narrative. And there are people for a variety of reasons who either to sell media or to sell products like to spin the negative perspective on life for whatever reason it is. And, uh, we can't, we, we can't, we can't do that. We can't just, we can't just live that way. So great, great insight from Yossi over there. Uh, another WhatsApp from Hoda says, again, on complaining, one asks why fix middle winter date 23rd? Poor can't afford to buy. So we question why problem has been for long. Personally, I do not fear. Have Hashem Echad looking out for me. Why fear false expectations appearing? Fear is false expectations appearing real. I didn't, I didn't quite get the thing about the 23rd. Not sure. Uh, uh, maybe I missed something over there. But to know that God is looking out for you, psh, that's, that's it. That's going to completely shift your perspective. You know, what's fascinating is when you see people, you hear people tell stories about the experiences that they had in really, really difficult times. I mean, there were people in the Holocaust. There were people in the gulags. And they still were able to keep optimism. And here we have, and I think it comes back to the parasha. You've got people who have everything for them on a platter, so they start complaining that they don't have meat. It's a problem. It's the problem of indulgence that very often when we have, uh, you know, everything that we need, that's when we land up complaining. You'll see this. You'll see this with our kids. You know, the things that they complain about. I mean, if the internet goes down, you would think that I don't know what had happened because today's, I don't want to only say kids, it applies to adults as well, are so dependent on having things as they expect them to be there that if it doesn't exactly walk out that right, it, it doesn't work out as they had expected. So then they start throwing their toys out of the cart. I mean, what kind of a way to live is that? Uh, somebody was telling me once, I was, I was at a, a funeral, walking back from a funeral, and there was a guy who, I happened to pass him as I was walking out of the cemetery. So I said to him, how are you? Just like that. How are you? Like you would ask any person. And he turned to me and he said, every day above ground is a good day. <laughs> it's quite an insight, quite an insight if you think about it. Every day above, I and mean, the fact you wake up in the morning. I had this conversation with my kids the other day. I say, tell me one thing that's good about your day. Just tell me one thing that's been good about your day. Hmm, um, you know, it took a few minutes to, to get an answer. I said, you do realize right now we were driving home from school. You do realize you're sitting in a car right now. You don't have to walk home from school. And even if you did have to walk home from school, the fact of the matter is that both your legs work. And you have a school to walk from and a home to walk to. And you have eyes that can see the way to get there. My gosh, that's already a good day. Just there. Yet somehow we, somehow we just focus on the negative, right? Somehow we just focus on the negative. Why is that? What is it about us? It's probably because we haven't gotten yet to the point that we are as developed as we should be. Here's Daniela on WhatsApp. He says, I agree with Yossi and think that there is such a thing as too much information. We do need to know what's happening in the world in terms of major events, but we don't have to know every detail of every disaster slash corrupt government, etc. all the time. We do have a choice about what we let into our space. 
Some might say that we're being ostriches. I think I'd rather not be surrounded by negativity. We need to practice gratitude daily. By the way, by the way, just on that point, and I definitely agree that there's information overload, especially seeing as the information that we get, we don't choose. We don't choose what information gets thrown at us. If you decide that you're going to follow the news, whichever news outlet it is, know that at that moment you have surrendered your choice to objectively know what's going on in the world. It's whatever particular agenda that particular news station decides they're going to send your way. That's what you're going to get. And I, I love it when people say we had a very interesting conversation in Shul a couple of weeks ago. And somebody said, but you have to know what's going on in the world. And so, whoa, hang on a second. What do you mean I have to know? Why? Why do I have to know? Why? Let's talk about this for a second. Why do I have to know? Is there a mitzvah in the Torah that says, Thou shalt know the news that's going on in the world? Is there? Yes. It says in the Torah, You know what the Torah says you have to know? You have to know that there's a God. That's what you have to know. You have to know that God is controlling the world. That you have to know. You have to know that you have a responsibility to be moral. That you have to know. You have to know that you need to care for the next person. That you have to know. But you don't have to know what's going on in the world. You don't have to. You don't have to know what particular allegations have have come up in, in some obscure part of the world just because it's it's clickbait or just because it's it's interest uh, you know to show that you're worldly and to to be able to have a conversation you don't you don't have to allow all of these things to clutter your mind uh, there's a very beautiful insight that is used about Joseph when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers so the Torah says he was thrown into a pit and the pit was empty and it had no water. So Rashi says, well, if it's empty, obviously it had no water. Rashi always picks up the very obvious questions in the text and then explains them. So obviously if the Torah says that the pit was empty, obviously it didn't have water. So he says it must imply that it was empty of what it should have had and it had something else. So this, the, this, this particular pit was actually a well that should have had water, but it was empty of water, and instead it had now become infested with snakes and, and scorpions. And there's a Hasidic teaching that follows on from that to say, your head is that well, and water is meaningful Torah thought. That's what's supposed to be in your head. Meaningful Torah. That's what we're supposed to occupy. Why? Why do we have to fill our mind with all these stats and figures about everything that's wrong with our world that just makes us worry about is it going to be a dread disease or is it going to be a, a, a major natural disaster or is it going to be terrorism or is it going to be a car accident that's going to eventually finish us off? Why? Why do we have to live that way? Why? It's not the way that our ancestors lived. It's not the way that we were taught. We were never taught that you live your life fearing how it's all going to end. You live your life Fearing that your life should should be meaningful, yes, that that every moment should have some kind of meaning. So the Hasidic take on that particular expression is the bor reik, the empty pit. That refers to the mind. When the mind is empty of Torah, it will naturally fill with snakes and scorpions. And our job is to make sure that our minds don't become filled with snake, snakes and scorpions, with toxic thinking, with all the negativity in the world, with all the horrible underbelly of what the world has to offer. Why? Why do I need it? Why does it deserve to rent space inside my head when I could fill that space instead with meaning, with, with transcendental thinking, with connection to God, with, with words of Torah, with optimism, which is exactly how I'm supposed to live. So it's, it's quite a thing that we, we have this obsession. We have to know what's going on in the world. I'll tell you a funny thing. I, I was a bit of a news junkie at one point, particularly when social media was new and it gave access. And then I said, you know, why? Why do I have to know all this stuff? There's so much information out there that is completely irrelevant in my life, but that because this particular news media happens to be on my timeline, so it's coming my way, I'll tell you an interesting thing. Speak to people, and you will naturally land up finding out what's going on in the world. 
it's just the way that, that it is because this person has an interest in that particular area and that person's expertise is in a different area. And between them all, you speak to people, you find out exactly what you need to know about the world. And the interesting thing is you don't necessarily find it in a specific narrative. You get it from a multitude of sources and it gives you a much healthier perception. So yes, I definitely agree. Information overload is one of the reasons that leads us to negative thinking. It's not the only reason. It has to do with the way that we're wired. It has to do with a person who hasn't yet developed themselves to get past that impulsive thinking, the animal type thinking that says, Oi, bay, fear what happens next. It's not the way that a Jewish person is supposed to live. We are supposed to live with optimism. We are supposed to live with trust. We're in good hands. The world is designed to be a fundamentally healthy, wholesome place, and the average person has goodness within them. Take that approach and go into the world. It's a whole different experience of living. Love to hear your thoughts. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So interesting when you hear perspectives. Ronnie says it's so much easier to see the negative rather than the positive. But why? Why is it so much easier? And, and you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe it is so much easier. You probably are right. But then you have to ask yourself a different question. Since when is the best stuff, the good stuff, the healthy stuff in life? The easy stuff. Maybe just the very fact that we find it easy to detect the negative is in itself an alarm bell. Hang on a second. If it's easy, it's probably not what I should be thinking. Most of what Judaism talks about is an expectation of doing things that are not easy to do, right? It's not easy to shut down completely for the 24 hours of Shabbos. It's not easy. It's not easy to eat kosher. Maybe when you're in Glen Hazel, it's easy. Not so easy when you're in a pole. So who says that easy is the measuring stick? And if anything, on the contrary, when something appears to be easy, it's probably a reason to reassess and say, well, I don't know if that's how I should behave. I believe that the reason the story, the Torah tells us so many stories about how the Jewish people complained is for exactly that reason, to teach us that complaining comes easily. And it's a big problem because even in the best circumstances, and that's what you see again and again and again about the stories in the Torah, is that even in the best circumstances, people will, if they choose to, they'll find a way to complain. And of course, the corollary of that is that if somebody is in dire circumstances, they can also make a, cho- a choice to find a way not to complain. Not just because they shut themselves up and, and don't express what they feel, but because they realize that there is what to celebrate in life. I always think of that Mishnah in Prika Avos in the Ethics of the Fathers that says, Ezehu Ashir, who is a wealthy person, Hasameach Bechelka. And most people mistranslate it. Most people say it's telling us that he who is wealthy, the person who is happy with their lot. It's not what it says. Sameach is more than happy. Sameach means to rejoice. This is a person who says, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. It doesn't matter what I have. If I can find the way to rejoice in what I have, that's what the Torah expects of me. That's what Judaism is all about. It's to be able to celebrate what you have. You see it. For as many stories as there are in the Torah of people complaining, there have to be at least as many stories in the Torah of great people who had this incredible sense of gratitude for what they had even when they didn't have what they needed. And that's very much how we're supposed to, to position ourselves. I remember once hearing the story about a particular chassid who suffered terribly. He suffered terribly from a variety of things, didn't have any money, had all kinds of physical ailments. Life was tough. And when his colleague asked him, how are you? He said, if only my spiritual state was as good as my material state. What a perspective. What a perspective. A person says, because 
the, you know, life isn't designed to be plain sailing, and I don't have an expectation that everything is going to go right. So I accept that there will be things that are negative, and that's okay. I don't have to live negative just because there are things that are negative. It's quite a profound insight, and I think it's, uh, you know, something that we should try to the best of our ability to apply in our own lives. Eugene on Twitter says, one can argue that living conditions have improved, but inequality is still a huge issue. Only the rich and privileged get to take full advantage of the improved living conditions. I don't know if that's absolutely accurate. I mean, there's definitely inequality. There's no question about it. But there are certain things that today would be considered to be a lower income bracket that a 100 years ago would have been reserved only for the rich. You think about healthcare as an example. Just that. Just healthcare. There are so many different ways that we could speak about how the world has moved in a positive direction. But I think the most important thing that we have to focus on is that happiness at the end of the day is a choice. And optimism is a state of mind that we work on. It's not natural, but it's something that we ought to work to achieve. And when we do achieve it, we're definitely closer to God. The famous Kabbalist Arizal said that when people don't serve God with joy, that in itself truncates their connection to God. Joy is a healthy place. It's a spiritual place. It's a holy place. And as much as our knee-jerk reaction to a lot of what goes on in the world is to be cynical and pessimistic and negative, what we're supposed to work on is to gain optimism and to be uplifted. So... If we can put a fraction of that into our lives, life will be worth living. It'll be easier to live, and it'll be more meaningful. Thanks for all the great messages, and I want to wish you a good Shabbos, and please got a successful week ahead. Until we speak again next week on Fresh Thinking.